Oh, in the game, yo. Why would we do something like this? Show me the money. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Pathetic. I said pathetic, desperate, pathetic. This is one of you, right? Right, are we talking about a sick guy? Why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? All right, Nathan, shall we play ball here and uh, open up the trades and look through some news this week? Let's do it, Mike. I've braved the cold uh, here in Chicago, the high of 19 degrees today in November, uh, and I'm ready to talk about exciting projects in the world of entertainment. It's a sunny and warm 72 here in California, so we have a nice uh, dichotomy there to start with, just like our two dispositions, one being more warmer than the other, but I will leave the audience to decide who's who on that. Um, Let's look at our first story. Per The Hollywood Reporter, Amazon's pilot, based on a league of their own, is starting to fill out its lineup card. So, of course, the TV series is based on the 1992 uh, sports film about the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League that was directed by Penny Marshall and starred Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, and Lori Petty. This version in uh, serial form will have the Good Place actress Darcy Carden. Uh, Broad City's Abby Jacobson not only will be starring in it as well, but she's also writing and executive producing. And it looks like uh, Will Graham, who did Mozart in the Jungle for Amazon, will be another writer and executive producer on the show with Jacobson. Um, Nathan, what are your thoughts on bringing the 1943 All Women's Professional Baseball League into series form? Well, so it's uh, not a period piece, right? It's as if the league has continued to run since then. I was very confused in reading the story because it said a modern take or modern approach, but then it mentioned in the press release about how it will follow the Rockford Peaches, the same team name that uh, Gina Davis and Laurie Petty played for, from the inception of the league on in 1943. So it's really unclear to me whether it's set in the modern day or it's just a more modern take on the time Sure, period. like maybe it's in the 70s or something? Like uh, yeah, more I don't, contemporary I'm not, than... I'm not quite sure. Okay, either way, super pumped about it. Like, yeah. genuinely, the most exciting thing Amazon is doing for me right now, way more so than a billion dollars on Lord of the Rings. Um, huge fan of both of these leading ladies. Love uh, Broad City. A um, little bit of partial to Lana, but Abby's great too. Uh, and um, the uh, Darcy is extraordinary. She's one of the best things on the Good Place, which is full of best things. Yes, uh, that episode of Multiple Janets was amazing. Yes, Janet is definitely my favorite character on the Good Place, and that's saying something because it's full of very good characters. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, excited to see this. I think it'll be you know interesting to see how they round out the cast. I wonder if they will do sort of homage casting to the original, like if they'll have some contemporary version of Madonna, uh, you know, play a promiscuous woman or something like that. That could right. be a fun twist. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting to see what direction they go. And I'm I'm on board whether it is. Honestly, any era I think could be fun. Like if they take this into the 60s or they take it into today or, you know, however much further down the line uh, it is, I think it could be really fun. It's a little, I think it might still be period just because when I think about like baseball is probably less relevant now as a sport in modern culture than it was in the 40s when it was the American pastime. Um, Sure. So I do think that I do. I wonder, too, when you talk about, you know, casting and how, how what direction they'll go in. It makes me think of my one of my favorite character names of all time, let alone in the sports movie, Marla Hooch. 
who will be the Marla <laughs> Hooch of this uh, of this generation? It'll be fun to fun to see. Sure, sure. Um, and and with these two, obviously a tone comes to mind, right? That is yeah. is a bit broader, I think, than the first one. Um, but then this new, I think it was announced today, that Will Graham's gonna, uh, I think he's gonna run it. Yeah, uh, is a, a tonal shift back to the to the center i suppose right the more dramedy yeah that the movie more dramedy than, than the yeah. broadness i would expect from obviously broad city yeah when you compare darcy Carden and abby jacobson to gina davis and laurie petty like gina davis and laurie petty were both more far more dramatic actresses not to say that darcy and abby don't have those chops but they're certainly better known for like you say a broader or just more comedic focused uh, approach sure and huge 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 uh, queer energy on this uh, yeah. as with the original so it'll be it'll be fun to see it play out yeah it definitely uh, will there was another title or, or headline i saw about a league of their own yeah it's not the only a league of their own in development nathan and it's not the only a league of their own in development that is based on pre-existing material with that same title so per deadline cbs has tapped uh, friends from college star My keegan michael key to host a remake of the james corden bafta winning Sky Game Show, which was also called A League of Their Own, confusingly. Um, in this version, it's going to be called Game On. Key will sit in the seat that Corden had occupied in the British version, presiding over two teams navigating rounds of sporting questions and physical challenges such as sumo wrestling. And in addition, the teams will be led by tennis superstar Venus William and Rob Gronkowski, who of course won three Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. And they will also be joined by regulars Bobby Lee from Mad TV um, and Ian Carmel, who is an uh, Emmy Award-winning writer on The Late Show with James Corden. So a little bit of that Corden touch will be making its way over as well. This is, it's Venus, right? I'm sorry, Venus. Did I say Serena? No, you did. I was just, I was just clarifying that I heard correctly. Um, yes. Serena's well, probably because... busy with other things. Well, I would think Venus would be busy with other things, too. You know, like it seems of, of those names mentioned, she seems in a different echelon, I think, of, of celebrity and status and, dare I say, class um, <laughs> than, than Mad TV and Ron, Rob Gronkowski, right? Sure. Um, you know, I did when I read this headline, I thought that Rob Gronkowski had been cast in the League of Their Own remake. And I was yes. very intrigued. I thought he would make a great Marla Hooch. Um, funnily enough the, though, like if Keegan Michael yeah, Key ahead. had been in the Tom Hanks role, if they were redoing it, I could almost see that, you know, a little, little more comedic sure. forward, but yeah, but yeah, Rob Gronkowski, definitely, definitely a typecast situation. He's, he doesn't have a lot of range. Yeah. Uh, I think this will be interesting. I mean, I'm certainly more on board with this than man vs. bear from last week. Uh, <laughs> it seems like it has the sort of physical challenge element of maybe a double dare, right? It's like yeah, the very sumo much so. wrestling. It seems like there's a silliness to this. Uh, and then the well, obviously with, uh, you know, Keegan Michael Key um, and then the sports competition. I mean, that could be interesting, uh, depending on like how specific it gets. I don't know. Do you you I assume have friends who are like sports encyclopedias of knowledge? Yeah, I was once probably one of those people. I think I've restored some of the hard drive of my mind to dedicate <laughs> to other subjects. But um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I got the it's funny when you said made the um, double dare comparison, because that's what I thought of just reading the uh, the description there. Um, I, I do wonder, I see a lot of these shows that come from overseas, uh, not necessarily from Britain per se, but a lot of like Asian shows like Japanese shows like American Ninja Warrior things that when they try to translate them to American TV, there's almost the broadness and silliness almost mm -hmm. just doesn't quite work in our culture in the way that it does in the original culture. So I, I've not seen the original um, Sky uh, 
version from from Britain, but sure. it, it, I do wonder tonally if it will resonate with American audiences because I don't know. We love our athletes and we love our comedy, but I don't always know that we want them to those two worlds to to blend together. Sure, that's probably true. But I think with with uh, key um, tonally, you're getting a lot of flexibility, uh, mm-hmm. and you're getting someone who I can think can give a real even hand to it. Um, and I think this is indicative of sort of where we are with uh, TV right now, where it's it's a star driven. Uh, yeah, competition show, and that is hugely popular, right? Yeah, stunt um, casting you know, from, all over the place. Exactly right, and so it is in this era of the networks and and cable companies being very hungry for live dollars and trying to siphon away uh, viewers from streaming platforms and things like that. We're going to see a ton more of things like this. Um, it'd be curious to see how it does. I mean, Masked Singer has been way more popular than I ever imagined. That's true. And that's as silly as you silly can really be as far as premises are concerned. So that, yeah, that might be a good comp. Yeah. It's, I think it's the number one show on TV this, this year, which is mind boggling to me. That's pretty freakish, man. (laughs) Speaking of freaks, uh, per deadline, a feature film is in the works about Milwaukee Bucks, uh, star player and last year's NBA MVP, John Giannis Antetokounmpo, easy for me to say, um, Greek freak is, uh, Giannis's nickname because he, uh, grew up in Greece, um, and was drafted into the NBA at 18 years old. No one knew much about him because he'd never played in a real professional league that there was film of. I remember during the uh, NBA draft process, there's this grainy footage that looked like he was playing against, you know, seventh grade rec teams in Greece somewhere. Um, But he has gone on to grow quite literally and figuratively into one of the NBA's giants. And like I said, was the most valuable player last year. So this is going to be a scripted film for Disney Plus's streaming service that will take a look at his early life and current career, um, sort of marking his rise from, you know, being incredibly poor on the streets of Greece. He was a Nigerian immigrant there with his family to, um, you know, becoming the most valuable player in the world's best basketball league. Um, so uh, it just a little bit about the the back behind the stage stuff. It's Whoa, to- hold on, hold on. Let me, let me talk about uh, Giannis for a second. Sure. So I don't watch as much basketball as you do or, or nearly as much as I used to, but I checked out the Bucks last year because the UVA guy Malcolm Brogdon was on them yeah. and was just instantly like, whoa, who the fuck is that? Yeah. Uh, sorry, I clipped there. Uh, <laughs> but it was Giannis. And and uh, I've never seen anyone move like that. Like, it's like a, a superhero out there. It's, it's a man among boys, even in the NBA. So I'm very curious to see some yeah. of his backstory. So for, for those that are not familiar or not big sports fans, he's approximately seven feet tall, but he moves like a gazelle. Despite He's not that you know tall, gawky type at all. His hands... Uh, are they could palm just about any human head, maybe even a bear head. Like his hands are enormous. It's it's hard to put into perspective how big his hands are. He can palm a basketball. It makes it look like me palming a tennis ball. And he's just this incredibly fluid athlete. And also just like his personality off the court. He's so thankful because of the meager uh, or humble beginnings that he came from. He used to, with his brother on the streets of Greece, literally selling bootleg tapes to try to make enough money to get food for his family. Uh, and now he's, you know, he's set next off season to sign a contract worth $250 million. So, but he's yeah, in- we're going to talk a lot about sports as redemption today, I think. And he is a very clear cut living, breathing example of that. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to see a little bit about the production on the production side here. So former Disney and Village Roadshow Pictures exec Bernie Goldman, um, who produced uh, Zack Snyder's 300, will be producing a script from Ara Shamel, um, who had written the Rosamund Pike uh, period piece last year that came out, A Private War. So uh, that was a very uh, well-acclaimed dramatic film. So I think they're definitely going to lean into the, you know, the hero rise from a humble beginning story that all the drama that's gone into his life to get to this, you know, pinnacle point. But yeah, what what do you think in general, Nathan, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the later segment, but when you have a, a, a crazy, amazing story like this, would you rather see it tackled in a scripted narrative or would you rather watch an amazing documentary about the story? I'd almost always rather see the documentary. Yeah, I have to agree, uh-huh. especially with this kind of story. And when the when the person at the center of it is incredibly charismatic, mm-hmm. you know, and when you can offer all sorts of social and cultural perspectives in a doc that are just laborious to put into a scripted thing, and it just particularly obviously it's a very long example, but that Ezra Klein's OJ Made in America was yeah a real testament to what you can do with the form of documentary. Yeah, and staying on that theme, the even the miniseries, the scripted miniseries, uh, the true what's it american Uh, crime story story, yeah yeah that was incredible really good but it can't compare to oj made in america because of all the angles that it can tackle in that documentary Mm -hmm. form and yeah the thoroughness and depth of it Mm -hmm. um it'll be curious if disney plus is up and running uh by the time this this airs i know it launched today and we at my house i wanted to have it up and running and ready so that we could have you know ducktales or something like that on (laughs) Uh, the TV before uh, or while my uh, daughter got ready for preschool today, but it wasn't working on our TV. There are probably some kinks to to work out. And as a a very funny man on Twitter said, it probably uh, they've got Goofy in charge of the out uh, rolling out operation. Yeah, that's a good one. They did put Goofy in charge of it. She uh, (laughs) we got it to work on the iPhone. And the first thing I showed her was um, Steamboat Willie or Steamboat Mickey. Oh, starting uh, at the beginning. Very first ever. Yeah, I figured yeah. that was a good uh, sort of introduction. She lost interest in about three minutes. <laughs> well, there's only Can't so much black and white whistling as you as someone drives a steamboat <laughs> yeah, that you can really like, tolerate. You know, it goes on like this. And she's like, well, where's the dragon? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you you want how to train your dragon. It's not yeah. this. I love that she's giving Walt Disney notes from beyond uh, to beyond the grave from, from, from your little one. Oh, she is opinionated. Um, speaking sure. of network influence, our, our final story in the news segment this week, uh, per deadline, uh, as the NFL regular season is hit at its midpoint here, there's more football to look forward to and not just the postseason in the NFL. The XFL, Vince McMahon's uh, spinoff league, who he tried first uh, in 2001, but it failed after just one season, is going to be rebooted, Nathan, uh, one of our favorite trends in culture these days. Um, and it's tried not- again. Yeah, it's inaugural. Can you call it inaugural? It's re-inaugural 2020 uh, season will include a schedule of games. And this is important. That'll be broadcast on Fox, ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, Fox Sports. So it does have the networks behind it. Um, and the games will kick off on Saturday, February 8th. So just the week after the Super Bowl is held in the NFL. And then the regular season games will continue on Saturdays and Sundays uh, through April 12th, followed by division finals on April 19th, and then the XFL championship game on ESPN on April 26th. Uh, the league is made up of eight teams in two four-team divisions. Here are the, here are the team names, Nathan. Let me bounce these off well, you. Hold on just a second. It'll also air on ESPN internationally, right? Uh, I think yeah. They have the streaming rights for it. 
Yeah, it'll, um, it'll be on the, the, the ESPN Plus app, I'm sure, as well. Be so complete out. coverage on the Disney uh, sort of uh, family of networks, right? So yeah. ABC, uh, ESPN, and Fox now. Uh, which yeah, is, and that's right. They're all is, in the same umbrella. This is as big of a chance as you can give this league, right? This is as legit a shot at legit at legitimacy. Jeez Louise, I'm having a hard time talking today. Uh, <laughs> that springtime football can have, right? If this doesn't work, it's never going to work. I think that's true. Uh, we so we have eight teams. We have the DC Defenders, which would be your hometown squad. That's uh, right. Yep. The New York much Guardians. better name than the NFL team. Yes, the Deadskins. Uh, mm-hmm. The New York Guardians, uh, St. Louis Battlehawks, the Tampa Bay Vipers, and then in the West we have the Dallas Renegades, Houston Roughnecks, Los Angeles Wildcats, and Seattle Dragons. There be there's your dragon. It's in the sure. XFL. The Seattle. Uh, LA did need a third football team. Yeah. Um, uh, those are better team names than I expected. It, it seems like it's a far more serious attempt at football than obviously the 2001, you know, your own uh, wording on your jersey going into the. Yeah. Do you still have your ha- he hate me jersey? Are you going to dust that off the he hate me jersey? <laughs> no, I, I didn't hate that guy that much. I, it was a big <laughs> misunderstanding. I hope he'll get that on his jersey. You know, it's, it's a big a misunderstanding, misunderstanding. <laughs> running down the sideline. Um, I would be shocked if I watch a doubt of this, oh, to yeah, be perfectly I... honest with you. Like, fantasy is the only thing that keeps my eyes on the NFL, and I doubt very much I'm joining an XFL fantasy league. No, it's not going to happen. I think the problem with these leagues is the intention behind them is, like, there's this ravenous uh, appetite in the culture for football, which is uh, by far our most popular American sport, certainly by television ratings. Um, the problem is... That Americans are also obsessed with wanting to watch the best. And whenever you get a secondary league like this, there's just no way around the fact that it's the, you know, typical gym teachers of America that are playing in this in this in these games. Right. It's not sure. the best players. It's either guys that are old and washed up and out of the NFL or guys that weren't quite good enough to make it in the first place. And, you know, power to them to get a job getting to play the sport that they love. But I just don't think that there's a big audience to watch second rate stuff. Look at the MLS and soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Americans watch uh, English Premier League, even though they have no teams to root for of their own because they're across the, the pond rather than watch MLS games of American teams because they're just not very good. Yeah, there's there's um, we do like the best in this country, and I don't think the XFL is going to be it. But I do think that in this era of the NFL increasingly having you know domestic abusers and things like that uh, booted from the league, I doubt that will be a problem in the XFL. You know, so yeah. the Antonio Browns of the world who maybe or the Ray Rices of the world who maybe have some fuel left in the tank, but have been, uh, you know, thrown out of the big leagues for their behavior. I think this could become like a, a convicts league uh, <laughs> or something like that. The longest yard kind of football league. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that it being on network is testament and, and links a little bit to what we were talking about with um, the League of Their Own game show of, of networks are desperate, man. Yeah, they want um, that live content. They need that live content. And and to be perfectly honest, sports is one of the only things keeping them afloat. And if Netflix continues to have 30% of primetime or 40% of primetime, depending on whose numbers you believe, and Disney Plus is big and, and um, you know, people are, are increasingly not watching networks. If sports were to, say, end up on Amazon – if the NFL were to jump to Amazon, I know they've done a couple games. If mm-hmm. lesser NBA, lesser Major League Baseball, 
But if, if that were to happen, the networks would be in a really difficult place. Uh, th- those are the things, particularly like Sunday Night Football on NBC, those are the things keeping their lights on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, When's the last time you watched a commercial uh, because you had to not watching a live sporting event? Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, I think I it's mean, the only time. with Hulu Live? Yeah, like, right. Accidentally, uh, right. Exactly. When you forget, and, you can fast forward. I was forward. furious. <laughs> yep, yep. Totally. But yeah, that's um, the only time that uh, I don't get furious when a commercial comes on because I can't skip over. It's just like, well, this is part of a live experience. And that's why they're so valuable to these networks. Because of course, you got to you gotta have content that gets people to watch the commercials that pay for the programming. Yeah. And then it becomes a, they want it to be a multi-platform experience, right? They want you to be watching it and tweeting about it and there's all sorts of ways for them to monetize that now so we're going to see a lot more of this but i don't know that i'm personally going to see any xfl yeah uh, i i will not be watching it i would much rather spend the two or three hours that it would take to watch one of these games to watch a great sports movie which is what we are going to talk and do a deep dive into in, in our next segment so we will uh leave the news behind and nate why don't we uh spend a little time talking about some of our favorite sports movies That sounds great. All right, we'll be right back. All right, Nathan, let's dive into a very fond topic of mine, which are movies and sports coming together into the sports movie. So before we're going to go through our four tops, our our favorites in this genre, but before we get to our lists, uh, why don't we just talk a little bit about what we love about sports movies, what what we think that they, uh, that kind of storytelling is is kind of themes that it's good at exploring or the things that we like in a good sports movie versus the, the ones that make for bad sports movies. Sure. I think it's a natural environment for story because you have obvious and easily understood conflict, right? That's the first uh, aspect of it is that you have a scoreboard, all right? And so you can understand who's winning and who's losing, and it's very easy. Um, I think then that we have in America particularly this amazing history of these movies being made very well. Uh, I think it is a version of fantasy that is acceptable for heteronormative men you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and i think they do a great version of like redemption stories and things like that um what about you what do you look for yeah what do you like about them redemption is a good one um i think that the two themes that always occur to me that are are present actually three themes that come to mind uh number one of course underdog stories which most uh popular sports movies have some aspect to them that, that the team that you're following or the player if it's or individual athlete they're obviously up against the odds that the, the, the odds of succeeding in sports are high enough as it is, but they really paint a picture of a team or a player or an athlete that uh, is really up against it. There's there's almost no chance at the beginning of the story that they could ever win the championship or be the best at that particular sport. Um, and then that can often tie into the second theme, which is that teamwork. I think, you know, we talk a lot about in past shows and we'll talk a lot about next week in our friends giving episode about how much. There's a wish fulfillment in our stories of wanting to be surrounded by family or friends, or in this case, teammates, 
Um, and, and some of the best sports movies have that perfect blend of the different quirky characters that somehow come together, work together to be greater than the sum of their parts. Um, and obviously those themes are going to be represented in a couple of our favorites. And then the last one, going to your point about, especially for men, difficult for men oftentimes to sort of access their feelings or be emotive. Um, the bond, and we'll talk about this a lot in our last segment, the bond between fathers and sons, uh, guy friends, brothers, those are often uh, times thread through these stories as well. We're seeing ways in which men can come together that can be a bit vulnerable because they are have some common interest or common emotional connection to a team or to uh, trying to win together or what whatever you might have within that kind of dynamic. Right. It becomes the conduit right, uh, that can help facilitate relationships between men. Uh, you know, sometimes you use alcohol, sometimes you use sports, sometimes you use both of them. Yeah, a very, uh, very popular to do both of them. I think sports bars exist for that very reason, Nathan. Did you know there are more sports bars here in Chicago than L.A. and New York combined? I did not know that, but that does not surprise me in the slightest. You said it was, what, 13 degrees out? Yeah, you got to go somewhere to drink, right? That's right. You got to stay um, warm in both your heart and in your, your actual body. So, yeah, so my first favorite sports movie is very much steeped in all of these things. An underdog story, you have family story, you have a ragtag crew coming together. Uh, and it uh, ties into something we mentioned in the opening segment that it's being uh, revived now for Amazon. But the 1992 Penny Marshall classic, A League of Their Own, uh, starring Gina Davis, Tom Hanks, uh, Lori Petty, Madonna, um, Rosie O'Donnell and John Lovitz in an all-time perfect casted, uh, perfect cast role. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorites. Chicken shit, Dottie. You want to go back home to Oregon and make 100 babies? Great. I'm in no position to tell anyone how to live. But sneaking out like this, quitting, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. It just got too hard. supposed to be hard if it wasn't hard everyone would do it the hard is what makes it great and so in this speech you have uh tom hanks's character the washed up drunk uh baseball player talking to dotty uh, as she's thinking about leaving her husband's come back from the war um and he reminds her what baseball means to her and and why it matters to her and i think that's one of the things these movies do really, really well is remind us of the importance of competition, the importance of hard work and all that come with that, right? The discipline to show up every day. Um, I love a good training montage. You don't get a, a, a sports movie without one. And this one has a couple of good ones of them um, interspliced with news footage and things like that. Uh, I love the fish out of water aspect of it, of the women playing ball. I love the sexist stuff in it and the way that plays. It was a movie I could see with my mom and my sister or my dad, and everybody sort of enjoyed it. Uh, what do you think about A League of Their Own? Yeah, it, it was definitely an honorable mention on my list. Uh, I think the thing that that clip sort of encapsulates well, and one of the things I really like about the movie is that the Tom Hanks character, uh, who plays the manager, Jimmy Dugan, his entire like almost everything he says in that movie is basically a thesis on what baseball is. You know, the the famous quote about there's no crying in baseball. But I think the clip that you chose is actually more of his true thesis about what is important to him about baseball and about sports in general and why it's important. But um, he, he's sort of a, a drunken Yo baseball Yoda character in, in that movie in a way that I think is really effective and and 
it was great just to see, like you said, to get the 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 female perspective from that, the the kind of fish out of water elements and and all the the sexist characters, the uh, the John Lovitzes of the world, uh, in in that movie. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great one, and you got Rosie O'Donnell at peak rosiness and Madonna and uh, all kinds of uh, great performances in there. Yeah, and it's it's fun. The humor holds up. The heart certainly holds up. Um, it's a really good rewatch on whatever streaming service it's on. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Uh, and it, uh, along with other, you know, one of my other favorite baseball movies made yours, so I won't talk about it yet. But another baseball story I like that didn't quite make my favorites is Eastbound and Down, which yes. has a lot of those um, father-son, obviously, things we were talking about and a lot of those ideas of trying to use sports as redemption but not necessarily being able to do it. I know baseball plays a much bigger role in your certainly childhood than mine and probably now, uh, although my nationals are the champions. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what was your uh, first of your four tops? Sure. Well, I'll start, I'll start with the, on that note with one of uh, my, I have quite a few baseball selections in my four tops. Um, but let's start here. Cause you're talking about sort of a ragtag group of uh, players coming together to try to defeat the odds. There's certainly no better example of that than the 1976 film, the bad news bears. We just want to say you guys played a good game and we treated you pretty unfair all season. We want to apologize. We still don't think you're all that good at baseball team. You got guts, all of you. Come on, let's give him a cheer, come on. Ready? Okay. Two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? Bears, bears, yay! Hey Yankees, you can take your apology out of your trophy and shove it straight up your ass. So the thing about the Bad News Bears is it is the ultimate story of it, it created in the lexicon the name for what you call a really shitty team. Like from the, that point forward, from that movie, if there's a shitty team that doesn't have their their shit together, you call them the Bad News Bears, even if that's not their team name. That's how iconic this team is. And, and the thing that I love about it between the, you know, the sponsor of the team is Chico's Bail Bonds and... Uh, you got Walter Matthau and just an all-time politically incorrect performance uh, at the perfect time. And then, again, this really weird mixture of uh, kids on the team. If you think about it, especially for 1976, you've got uh, a girl as the star pitcher. Um, you've got the Kelly Lee character, who's basically like the Fonz, but younger, uh, riding around on a motorcycle as the star player. But then you've, you know, you've got uh, kids of different ethnic backgrounds. There's black players. There's Latino players. Um, there's the, of course, the dorky kids that can barely catch a ball. There's more than a few of those. You've got the, you know, Engelbert, the guy that loves to eat and is overweight. So you just have all of these sort of classic archetypes of child outcasts and to have them all come together and the thing i love most about it which is embodied in the clip is that they don't win at the end i think the single best part of the movie is that if they won it would almost feel like a cheat uh the yankees who they're playing are you know the sort of paragon of the perfect little league team they've been practicing harder they've been together longer they have more talented kids but it's about the fact uh that last line of wait till next year uh, that is also a big part of, you know, sports iconography is that, that there's always next season. There's always another chance to try to climb the mountain. And and to say nothing of the fact that the movie 
is just out and out hilariously funny, politically incorrect for sure, but uh, incredibly funny. And uh, that that clip with Tanner yelling at the Yankees at the end is one of my all time favorite sports moments. What if I told you it never resonated with me? I'd love to hear about Um, it. I remember it vaguely uh, seeing it a few times as a kid and just not clicking. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I was too uh, unable to catch a ball to even play baseball. Like I played T-ball and then uh, it was pretty apparent when Little League was they were going to actually pitch a ball that I had no shot uh, at hitting a baseball and and with my vision, it just wasn't going to work. So I think that plays a role in me not wanting to see particularly like kids play baseball at that age. It'd be interesting to try to rewatch it now, but I, I had never... I can't remember sitting through all of it. I mean, I'm sure I did at one point, but it doesn't, it's not a movie. Like some images obviously come to mind, the baseball, the um, motorcycle on the baseball field and things like that. And the girl playing baseball. Uh, But it isn't, uh, it it wasn't one of mine. So it'll be, I I have it on my list now to rewatch because of your, um, I I really, I don't know if, you know, a lot of these, uh, our choices are going to be tinged with nostalgia because of when we watched them as kids, you know, for the first time, but I do, it feels like the sensibility of that movie is really up your alley in in a very specific way. And I think the, just the one last thing I would say about bad news bears too, that I think is important and why I picked it for my list is I also just like it representing not the highest echelon of sports. You know, Little League is something that, or youth sports in general is something that we all participate in. And so it's, there's a universality to it that we might not be able to access in some of these other movies we're going to talk about where the athletes or the teams in them are at the absolute highest level of that particular sport. But um, wait, let's go to... Well, rather, hold on, rather than yeah. going back and forth, why don't, since you have so many baseball ones, why don't you do another of yours Okay, uh, that's baseball? Sure. Uh, well, uh, sort of the evolution of uh, that sort of ragtag team group, the other choice, which I know was almost made your list, um, is the 1989 film that I have saw approximately 50 times at every sleepover birthday party that I went to from the ages of nine sure. until about 12. And that movie, of course, is Major League. Give me Vaughn. You want Vaughn? I know he hadn't done very well against this guy, but I got a hunch he's due. Good job. Good job. So that clip, uh, the entrance for Wild Thing, it was Nathan and I were talking for, I don't know, half an hour before the show of me just trying to pick a clip from Major League because there are so many uh, memorable comedic moments in that. But I don't know I've ever seen a better sports movie that was as funny and out and out comedy as major league is like there are better sports movies there are funnier comedies but major league just has so many memorable characters from wild thing to serrano to the manager's voice willie mays hayes like it's just the roster of that plus the actors that are inhabiting those roles there's so many uh memorable athletes on that team that if i had to name you know the 50 most memorable sports movie athletes i, th- I feel like 
you know, five to 10 of them would come from that major league roster because it's filled with so many both actors giving great performances, but just incredible writing by David Ward uh, and so well observed. And, and it also feels as much as a movie is going to realistic as far as, you know, they're kind of uh, there's always that team, especially in baseball, that has that magic for one particular year where they kind of all come together and, and the 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 team yeah the Nats did it this year they were 19 right. and 31 yeah they, um and they lost their star player and did it you know so it's like the mm-hmm. the idea that the team when the expectations are lowest almost is freed up to to tap into what the, their true potential is and i think um definitely the the team i would want to be in the clubhouse with yes like as they go on the run in the back half of this movie it's so energetic and it's so fun. And that montage of them playing and taking the picture or the clothes off the uh, uh, cardboard cutout of their, um, the owner. Yeah. The woman is the owner. Yeah. It's, it's really good. And it's, it's, is, as you say, a great blend of hilarious, hilarious jokes that hold up really well. And um, the tingles that these movies can give you when mm-hmm. it's it's the magic of sports and he you know he bunts in the end and things like that and it's it's a really really good version of that and and I think it was tough not to have it make my list because it, it does hold a special place in my heart as you say in like fifth and sixth grade I probably saw it a hundred times um and but it it is ultimately I it, it was beat out by a couple of other things yeah and I would be remiss not to mention the fact that uh Bob Euchre who plays the announcer for the Indians the play-by-play radio announcer it's these I I won't even take arguments against it it's the single best performance as a sports broadcaster in a movie and there's there's some fun ones but the the way he's actually the broad has been longtime broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers so he has both the professional chops to be the real thing, but also he was a stand-up comic at one point in his life. Of course, was in the Mr. Belvedere sitcom way back when. Um, but he is so funny and and just pitch perfect delivery of all the lines. And of course, the you know just a bit outside is is probably the most iconic line from a movie filled with iconic lines. Yeah, pretty insane TV acting talent uh, between him, Sheen, Corbin Burnson, mm-hmm. uh, Haysbert. Right. Like yeah, a lot of yep. a lot of really talented TV actors on this one. Quick sidebar. Dennis Haysbert yeah. almost mowed me down in traffic uh, at the corner of Sepulveda and Ventura in his Mercedes once when I was crossing the street. Luckily, he did not hit me. Uh, and I probably would have yelled, fuck you, Joe Boo, at him had he uh, <laughs> actually done so. But yeah. And I also the last thing I'll say about the movie is uh, I love that the character that Charlie Sheen plays at the end of Ferris Bueller when he's with Ferris Bueller's sister, that kind of drugged out guy mm-hmm. with the leather jacket. Mm-hmm. This is Rick Vaughn is basically if that guy had not been derailed by drugs and got to pitch in the big leagues. Or I think it's after part of his life was derailed by drugs. <laughs> yeah. He's in the penal colony. In That's the right. Um, there, there is a, not as good of a uh, ensemble cast in my next movie, uh, which is from the world of martial arts. It is Bloodsport. Uh, we don't have a clip from, from Bloodsport because you don't need one. You just need to know that Brick don't hit back. Um, <laughs> it is the story of a uh, martial artist uh, going to fight in a, a sort of no-holds-barred illegal underground uh, competition to avenge the death of his training partner and uh, the son of his, his master. Uh, and it's Van Damme in the role that introduced him to everybody, just absolutely kicking the shit out of people like doing the splits on skyscrapers it is cheesy but also great um the the martial arts are pretty good 
uh, especially for the time. Forrest Whitaker is in it in a, a very unlikely role. Um, and, and I assume it's not one you've seen despite it being on, I think it's on TBS at least once a day. I, I would say um, I have seen parts of it many times, especially as a kid, but I can't say that I remember ever watching it from start to finish. So all four of these that are going to be my top four, I've rewatched in the last two years with my wife. And this was one of the ones where we paused it because we had to go to bed and she was like the next day, like, we got to finish that. <laughs> um, so it, it holds up pretty well. And there's a scene in it you'll appreciate because there's a it's a flashback to Van Damme as a young kid. Uh, and he is... Uh, wearing a New York Giants jersey and a San Francisco Giants baseball cap. Oh, yeah. That's, that's uh, and very clearly thing. someone in the prop department was just like, bring a Giants thing and, <laughs> and has no idea what sports is or what cities are. Um, it's cheesy, man. It's it's um, brutal, uh, but I really enjoy it. And it, it is uh, a movie that brings me endless sort of smiles and motivation in the gym. Tell me, because uh, uh, I'm just curious. Ahead. When when did you see it the first time? Like when did it like really put its hooks into you? Uh, junior high or high school? Okay, had to be one of those on on TBS or TNT. You know, TBS went through that movies for guys who like movies mm-hmm. sort of testosterone phase in the '90s, and I think this was certainly part of that. Uh, and it, you know, it is it maybe starts and maybe at times has been an ironic love, but it is a genuine. It makes me smile to watch it every time. Uh, and if if it's I'm rarely anymore, right, flipping through the channels on cable. But in the event I am and Bloodsport's on, I will watch it until something really di- distracts me, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I'd be curious to hear, uh, because one of the other movies on your list, which I think is a good segue to, is there's violence involved, just not in a way that you would necessarily expect. Uh, sure. Uh, so Happy Gilmore. Um, is another one. Did you just call me a freak? I was on this tour for one reason, money. But now I got a new reason, kicking your ass. Well, <laughs> I'd like to see you try. Let's do it. I'm on a golf course. Hey, hey, what is going on here, huh? Oh, I was just um, looking for the other half of this bottle. And, uh, oh, there's some of it. right. There's, a, there's some right there, too. Uh, so, yeah, this movie I saw in the theater... Uh, on the heels of Billy Madison, obviously, and, and at the time thought it was much funnier than Billy Madison and probably uh, I've been subsequently set straight on that. But uh, it is a movie I find myself quoting all the time. Uh, it is a movie that is a, a great, I think it's a better golf movie than Caddyshack. Uh, I think it's Sandler at like the peak of his powers in terms of his comedic chops. Uh, I think you have some really pretty good performances in it from a, a, a young Julie Bowen before she got Modern Family. Um, and it is, if I were ever to be a hockey player, I would probably take off my skate and try to stab a guy. So I really related to uh, Happy's uh, use of, of his temper, particularly. Yeah, I think I agree. I think. I think Caddyshack has more memorable, iconic moments, but I, I, I don't know if you've rewatched that movie any time recently. But I rewatched it a couple of years ago. It is a terrible movie. Like there are incredible mm-hmm. scenes in it. It's but it's essentially sketches tried, you know, p- to be put into a movie. So I would agree that Happy Gilmore is a much better movie than Caddyshack, even if and Caddyshack's not not mine. You yeah. know, like I, it, it wasn't it's for our it fathers. Wasn't my movie. It wasn't yeah. my experience. It, it, 
you know, anytime I was watching Caddyshack, I was trying to have someone else's experience, I think. Well, we, we, um, we've played a lot of golf together, you and I. I'm curious of any fictional sports movie character. It doesn't necessarily have to be a golf movie, but uh, who would you most enjoy playing a round of golf if we added on to our... Uh, maybe we could each pick one to make a foursome with the two of us out at that uh, old Los Feliz nine-hole course. Who, who would you run So all-time all fictional characters, or are we talking sports movie characters? I'll, I'll open the floor up, whatever you want, Nathan. It's a fantasy world. Um, okay. Uh, Jay Peterman? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, for sure, I think Cosmo Kramer. I mean, I don't want it to all be Seinfeld, but those are two pretty, pretty good golfing uh, uh, points of reference. Um, and then Happy'd be fun. Yeah, uh, you know, we'd get the uh, the beer bong out. I will uh, say, uh, the Happy Dance. I once was at a meeting at uh, what's this production company called? Is Billy Happy Madison. Madison? Happy Madison. Thank you. Um, I was waiting in the lobby for some general jerk off meeting there and uh, Sandler came out in his uh, basketball garb. They play a lot of pickup basketball on the lot on Sony there. And I didn't realize that it's one of the few times I probably ever been like so starstruck that I didn't realize I was staring at him. <laughs> and he's and he smiles at me. He's like, hey, man, what's up, dude? You know, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really it was very uh, generous, kind thing of him to do because I was just sort of sure it happens him. to him. 35 time. times a day. Yeah. And yeah. and I was sitting there in the meeting and I was now I kind of got thrown off. He's like, hey, I have a good meeting in there. You know, he, he didn't have any relationship right, right, to what was going to happen. Going but he's just sure. Adam Sandler, as good a dude as you would hope he would be. Uh, and yeah, he would be a lot of fun to play a round of golf with, pick up basketball with, you name it. Uh, how about you? Who would you want to play golf with? Uh, the Peterman choice is inspired. I don't even know if you'd need another person because he would have so many great stories. <laughs> you definitely for you. talk enough for he, three. He would three definitely days. be the kind of guy, though, where you'd be the group behind you would just be constantly pissed off because he would be telling some, spinning some yarn and not putting the ball, you know, and like taking too long. The human rain delay, as we like to call it on the course. Um, <laughs> let's see. I think, I just think it would be really fun to play with. You know, I would go with is kind of an un, a non-traditional choice, but I would go with Steve Kerr, the uh, head basketball coach of the Golden State Warriors, because I feel like, one, he's a phenomenal podcast guest always, but his stories about Jordan's Bulls, Duncan Spurs, the Warriors, just like playing around a golf. He seems like a really sure. good guy. Just he could tell some great stories about some of my favorite athletes and basketball is my favorite sport. So it'd be a nice way to tie the two together. Sure, sure. And as always, the person I least want to play with is my dad. <laughs> absolutely uh what's your next movie uh speaking of basketball my one a choice from my favorite sport uh is the 1986 gene hackman top-lined hoosiers uh for those that aren't familiar with the film gene hackman plays this uh kind of down on his luck uh coach that got run out of his college job and he comes to this tiny uh high school in in indiana and in 40 other 49 other states it's just basketball but this is indiana nathan so it's very important here uh hickory high uh in rural indiana and he takes on this team that only i think they only have like seven or eight players because the school is so tiny and he leads them to the state championship uh against this uh team filled with you know uh, future college stars on it and this is a true uh, real life story based on true events back in in the 50s and my favorite moment is they've been playing in their little field house gym their their whole lives in this small town and they go to where the big final game is going to be and gene hackman walks his team out onto the court and he has a tape measure with him 
and he has his uh, one of his uh, guys on the team help him measure things and he you know measures the rim to the floor it's 10 feet just like it is in the field house and it's this great perfect little movie moment where the players as they realize what he's trying to do just to make them see that it's the exact same dimensions as it is anywhere else that that the stadium may be big and the moment may be big but it's just playing basketball at the end of the day um it, it it's just a, he's a great coach character and it in basketball being my favorite film ultimate david versus goliath uh, kind of story. They literally have the team chaplain read a verse from David and Goliath in the pregame speech before the last big game. Um, but it just has so many great moments between the sort of rural aesthetic of the team and the kind of old-timey Norman Rockwellian 1950s uh, mm-hmm. backdrop. And then just Hackman like playing this kind of washed up, down in his luck, isolated guy who isn't very good at life, but really connects with these kids in a way that they really need him. And of course, that surrogate father figure that coaches can often be is is, is a type that I'm very drawn to. Yeah, and especially for the kid, it's been a while since I've seen it, but for the kid whose dad's a drunk, right, who becomes yep. a, yeah, a literal De- surrogate father figure. Dennis Hopper plays the uh, the drunken uh, assistant coach that he takes under his wing, and there's some redemption involved there because there's a, there's a great moment where Dennis Hopper has to take over coaching the team after uh, Gene Hackman gets thrown out, um, and he has his redemptive moment where he calls the play that you know wins them a, an important game. So, yeah, there's just there's a lot of great father-son stuff, redemptive stuff, David versus Goliath stuff, all, basically that preamble we gave, working as a team, all, all the themes that I love in a sports movie done really well, and, and I had to represent my my favorite sport. Sure, and, and I know I spent a lot of this podcast bad-mouthing my dad, but he one year uh, coached my basketball team when I was like nine, and we were in the championship game, uh, and he did not actually take the tape measure, but he, you know, referenced that scene and was like, because we played in a high school gym for the championship, mm-hmm. as opposed to like rink-a-dink uh, rec center gyms. And it was the closest we ever got to like a movie moment. We, of course, lost, but. Um, <laughs> That's you know, the difference and, and between was, life and a movie. Well, and and right. And there aren't too many scenes in Hoosiers where he yells at the kids so much they want to cry. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it it was his heart was in the right place, I suppose. And, and it was something I remember forever. And, and shooting baskets with my dad and, and watching this movie with both my mom and my dad was a memorable experience and something I, I enjoyed. Ultimately, though, it doesn't it doesn't have the same resonance for me as other basketball movies, even like. He got game. I like a little bit more. Um, it's a great one. A little bit more contemporary with the yeah, uh, with Ray Allen um, and Denzel. And then um, my last top uh, choice is. Or, or do you have more to say about this, or should we? Move no, on? no, yeah, I have at it. Okay, uh, my last top choice is White Men Can't Jump. Uh, I think the perfect sports movie in a lot of ways. Rules are very simple. If you win, you win. If you lose, you lose. But under no circumstances do you ask for the money back. Why not? So the clip is missing the last line of her speech, which is the most important part because it's the theme of the whole movie. Please do it um, in Rosie Perez's accent, Nathan. Absolutely not. <laughs> that winning and losing uh, is one big organic globule from which one extracts what one needs. This movie in particular, 
I don't know when the last time you saw it was, but it's a fucking good movie, dude. Like, it was not, number five. It was number five on my list. It was the last one that I left off. Not uh, even the sports is the worst part of this movie. Um, the story is amazing. Like Billy Hoyle cannot get out. He literally can't jump, dude. Yep. He cannot get out of his own way. And it is beautifully drawn in a way that I recognize in friends of mine related to music more specifically, but, but certainly people I'm related to with sports where they cannot stop. It's one of the great and, self-destructive characters that yeah, you'll see. And it is really good at drawing him as lovable and charismatic, but ultimately so self-destructive man. Um, and, and Gloria's the hero of it, uh, I think. And, and I was really struck by just what a fuck up he is and how with all the fast talking and the slow motion shots they have to do to make Wesley look <laughs> like he can play basketball, right? Like, uh, uh, you miss it the first few times and you miss it when you're 10, right? And you're like, you know, he said motherfucker. Um, but it is, it's the wrestler with jokes, dude. It's the same basic idea of of a person who cannot move past the glory they were promised by sports and by being good at sports in their youth. Um, and it is a, a beautifully expressed uh, tragic version of that. Yeah, I think uh, I used to play pickup basketball re- regularly. Uh, there's a Saturday morning game in North Hollywood that I would play for many years when I lived in L.A. And it was it was the best part of my week. But I think that the that what the movie captures really well is that when you like they're not playing in the nba right but once you get on between the lines and you're dealing with uh your your opponent or whatever everything else kind of melts away and there's a singular singular tunnel vision to it and if you think about the application of that to gambling which the movie obviously has a lot of in this you know mm-hmm. they're trying to uh scam each other and playing for big stakes and, and whatnot and billy hoyle's just this degenerate gambler um you know, the whole movie leads to that crescendo at the end where Wesley Snipes pulls over the car and will, you know, uh, Woody Harrelson double or nothings him saying that he can dunk. And it's like this guy is so delusional that he mm-hmm. you, you, you there is not a person in the world that knows whether or not they can dunk or not. Like, it's not like a question, like maybe I can sure, do sure, it, sure, maybe sure. I can't, you know, and and you just you can tell from that scene is shot so beautifully. They set it up where you get to see Woody actually attempt. I, it's probably a nine and a half foot rim. But uh, just just watching him piss his life away uh, is is something really remarkable to watch especially cloaked in a movie that is so out and out funny uh, i mean some of the jokes may feel a little dated because of when it was recorded all the yo mama jokes in the beginning but they're, they're sure, sure, sure. The, the chemistry between him and rosie him and wesley it just it's really really good stuff and he's man let me tell you something woody harrelson is a movie star yeah uh i don't know did you see solo no i didn't so we saw solo and it's it's cool man it's a lot of interesting stuff um but it ultimately felt like a bunch of TV stars in a fan fiction thing. Right. And then Woody Harrelson. Yep. Right. Who like is very clearly has that presence on screen that, that I'm sorry, like Emil Clark and Donald, Donald Glover didn't quite have. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So your last one is the quintessential, right? Yeah. The uh, movie of all sports movies. For me, this is it's it doesn't have as much sports as some of these other ones come uh, have, but it's about all the things that are most important uh, in a sports movie, which are nostalgia, 
Fathers and Sons, and of course, I'm talking about the 1989 classic, Field of Dreams. Ray, people will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door, as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have, and peace they like. So I, I could have picked 100 clips from this movie. Uh, ultimately, it always comes down to whether or not you want to hear a great monologue from James Earl Jones, or you want to focus on the end with the redemption father-son story of, hey, dad, want to have a catch? And as you might guess, Nathan, from our episode last week where we talked about vulnerability and relationships with father and loss and regret, uh, I made the, either the mistake or the beautiful choice to rewatch Field of Dreams uh, a few days after my father passed away. And if you think that movie's a tearjerker before that happens, let me tell you, it resonates on a whole new level when you're actually experiencing the reality of that situation. But um, you got Kevin Costner. Talk about a movie star. Uh, he is, he just shines on screen even when he's not talking. Uh, it, it's, it, it's that thing you can't put your finger on, right? The same reason Woody Harrelson's so good and white men can't jump it. What makes a movie star versus a TV star? Who knows, but you know it when you see it. Um, a really interesting use of James Earl Jones, who plays Terrence Mann, which is basically the J.D. Salinger kind of uh, type character, reclusive author. Um, we, you didn't get to see a lot of James Earl Jones in the 80s and 90s. Like He was Darth Vader's voice, but his career as an on-screen actor, was he's very underutilized, and it's just the gravitas that he brings to that role is is incredible. And then the fantasy, mystical elements, the Moonlight Graham, the, the Shoeless Joe stuff, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. You know, all that stuff, the cornfield. I, I can't think of a more iconic image from a sports film than that baseball field carved out of that uh, cornfield. And yeah. They're playing a game there, right? Yeah. Next season, they're playing a game in a cornfield? Yeah, field? The, they're going to have a Sunday night baseball game there, I believe, um, between two major league teams playing on that field, which does exist in, in real life. But yeah, I it's everything that I want in the movie because it's a sports movie that's not really about sports. It's ultimately about the connection between father and sons and how the one thing that can often bring us together um, when we have these difficult relationships is sports. And how absolutely not to save your dying farm. Mm -hmm. absolute not a good idea to cut down your your source of revenue to build a baseball field i think it's um a, that movie has an interesting analogy that we talk a lot about here because timothy busfield's character is sort of the voice of reason she plays his uh, or plays kevin costner's brother-in-law who's trying to get him to sell the farm or to you know raise crops and he's building this baseball mm -hmm. field how do you feel about that theme given that you know indulging in the fantasy ultimately leads to positive results even though if that maybe that's not realistic I, this is a movie that I remember seeing and remember feeling like this is an important movie, right? And not feeling any of it. You know what I mean? Like I understood everything it was trying to convey. And for me personally, it just didn't a little bit like bad news bears. It just didn't quite do it. I mean, I think that it has to do more with the fact that like I understood fundam fundamentally we can talk more about this in the next segment, obviously, but like what baseball meant to my dad and what it could never mean to me. Mm -hmm. um, and this movie obviously like is all about 
them having a catch. Well, like it's with my vision, literally difficult to catch a baseball. Yeah. Right. I can do it because I did it a little bit with my dad, but if he wants to throw it even a little too hard, like it becomes a very dangerous thing, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, and so for me, this was another one where it was just sort of, it almost made me feel even more ostracized. Uh, it made me interested in the black Sox. right? Mm-hmm. It was the first time I was ever aware of that um, uh, uh, story. And I, I thought that was really cool, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it, it, it was. It's one of those movies that just wasn't for me. I suppose it's a little bit like Shawshank in that, where it's it's maybe too emotional. It's like a Bruce Springsteen song or something. You know, like yeah. it's a little a little too honest. For well, me. I think if you if you listen to the um, last week's episode where we talked about both of us talked about our dads and losing them figuratively or literally, I think you could totally that totally makes sense to me. That you need a relationship with your father that is injured but it can't be fractured for the movie to kind of like resonate i feel like you know like sure sure i'm not gonna get that uh movie moment at the end necessarily with my dad but at least it felt just with an emotional grasp like it probably won't happen in reality but i can kind of vicariously have that catharsis through the movie but it i certainly have movies where if i don't have that kind of relationship i can't quite get to that point or if, if it almost seems so much uh, emotional wish fulfillment that it, it just turns me off and I, I, I just want no part of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that the the sports movies we didn't mention uh, certainly can be guilty of. Uh, but yeah. I think there's a pretty comprehensive list. I feel like there's obviously a hundred we didn't mention, but maybe we can circle back to this at some other point. Yeah, no, I think there's there's obviously no shortage. We had a hard time whittling down our lists. We both had, you know, lists of like 20 movies. And to, to whittle it down to our favorites, I think at least gets at the essence of what, what we're trying to do here is just talk about what sports do, how they connect us, and, and what a great sports movie is. And let's come back and talk more about that as we talk about our own personal relationships with sports. Welcome back. We are going to continue with the theme of sports uh, here. So, Mike, my as as I've talked to my dad is a, a jock. Um, he is six foot five ish. He is heavier now, but not not a overweight man. Uh, he's an imposing figure, right? Um, and when I was born, he thought he was going to be a major league baseball player. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the guys on his college team. Went on to play for the Pirates, a guy named Bob Walk. Sure. Uh, Had his baseball uh, card. Yeah, yeah. He was a pitcher. A good name for a pitcher. Yeah. Um, And so when I was born, man, I have these. When we had a kid, I got all my baby books uh, from my mom. And you can see where she's filled out, like, you know, what's, you know, the biggest celebrities in 1980 or, you know, what was the number one movie or what are big cultural things, right? Uh, you can see in her handwriting where they're all not sports related. And then my dad's is Pete Rose. And, you know, what are your favorite things? And it's sports in all caps. And it's like very, very clearly important to him to the point where like uh, there's a baby card of me where it's like the newest all American. 
Mm. You know, and it's it's I don't know that he would have done this, but subsequently in having a kid, we've seen there's a like a diaper, a case for diaper wipes that looks like a football. <laughs> right. Like if you're so fucking macho that you need to know, pe- let people know you like football when you're wiping up shit. This is for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's who my dad is. But with baseball. Right. Well, I couldn't play baseball. I mean, I played T-ball and it was a bit of a shit show. And then. I still remember he took me to like what was going to be the, you know, you have to try out for little league so they can give everybody your skill level. Uh, and he was like pitching me balls and he was just like, oh, this isn't going to work. Um, and I could play, I just couldn't play baseball. Right. Yeah. It just, it just didn't work. I was a phenomenal soccer player, but at the time that wasn't a real sport. Yeah. You should um, mention for those that don't know, like your, your eyesight is not just like, Oh yeah, sure. Poor. It's, so it's, I have, I have uh, albinism. I'm legally blind. My vision uncorrected is 2450. My vision corrected is 20, 180, 2200. But the issue is I don't have depth perception. So a ball, if you yeah, wonder what that's a problem. like, a bit of a problem catching a ball. So if you wonder what that's like, close one of your eyes. Right. And that's basically the start of my vision problems. Um, so with that, uh, I was still a good soccer player, uh, but again, you know, games are early and, and it's not a real sport. And when you're my dad and in your mid twenties and carousing on a Friday night, you can't make it to those. Uh, but he did coach my, um, basketball team. And it's just this weird thing where like, I can tell you almost exactly when he gave up. Mm. you know on on me in and sports and it was like around the time i turned 10 and it just became uh obvious that i wasn't going to do this for him and he was meaning like live up to his sports fantasies and he was never going to forgive me for it mm-hmm. um and so it's you, you told talked in your eulogy about when you were around 13 you broke um your dad's new driver mm-hmm. right right well so by comparison when i was probably 10 or 11 I played, I found in my house a baseball that was perfectly clean, right? And this is a very rare occurrence, you know, no scuffs on it, nothing. Go and play with it in the street with my neighbor. Lo and behold, it was my dad's Johnny Bench autographed baseball, oh, right? No. He did not not say anything. Yeah. I like, heard about that baseball for the next five years um, in like derogatory remarks to backhanded things to like outright, you know, insults. And so it, it is... It's a sore subject. What was your your relationship like, uh, yeah. particularly early with your dad? And yeah, so my uh, sports, I was just crazy about sports from before people have memories. And what's funny is that I, my dad was a big sports person. Um, he raced motocross, but he also played competitive rugby. He played prop, which is kind of the equivalent of like an offensive lineman uh, in football. Big guy, you know, burly guy. Um, and then, you know, he grew up loving baseball and football and basketball. And so he was the one that, you know, we, I would, he was a weekend dad and we would spend all of our weekends basically either going to sporting events. We would go to see, we had season tickets for the 49ers through his friend. And, uh, we had, we'd go to 10 or 15 San Francisco giant baseball games a year. We'd go to all his rugby tournaments. And then uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the other time was just the two of us, you know, either playing catch in the backyard or we'd go grab a basketball and go shoot on a hoop in the school next door. So our entire relationship, honestly, other than a few movies that we would go to or watch on TV, we spent 90% of the time that we were together uh, watching sports or playing sports together, you know? That's so interesting. I also went to watch my dad play sports, play softball and basketball mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that and, like, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like getting to see your hero out there. And 
but also kind of like a realistic hero because he's not you sure. know the the perfect thing but yeah uh and then my dad would uh he he was never like the head coach but he was often uh a volunteer like assistant coach for my little league teams and my dad oh, had a really nice way about him. That's actually how he met my mom. So my mom was on this uh, all-female softball team, and they needed uh, some people to help out coaching the team. And so someone recruited my dad, and my dad was the hitting coach, and my mom was up at the plate. And the, as the, the infamous story goes, um, he said to my mom, you really need to work on your, your stance. And she said, forget, she said to him in a way only my mom could. She turned around, she smiled at him and said, forget about my stance. How about a little romance? And uh, <laughs> that's what, uh, you know, uh, got, them, uh, got to, them together. Got them together. So sports has definitely always been this. Uh, and, and as I got older, it was like the only way I could connect to my dad. I think that was some, oh, of, the, sure. some of the frustration sure. I was I mean, talking as... about last week. It's just like I wanted to connect in more ways as I evolved, but sports was the only way that we could kind of connect. Yeah, we still, I mean, even though my dad clearly like gave up on coaching my teams and it was clear I wasn't going to play any like major sports, we still tried. We still played golf, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but again, I was a teenager and, and we went out one time and neither of us remembered for me to wear sun uh, screen, Uh-oh. which I mean, you saw me play in nine holes. I put it on two or three times yeah. yep. at a par three. So to play 18, like I was fucking purple, dude. I had like literally second degree burns on me. Ugh. Um, And so it just, it never, it never materialized. And we would have moments that were where we felt close watching the Lakers or, you know, we had a plan to go to every major league baseball park and mm-hmm. we made it to, Baltimore, Philly. We've subsequently did Wrigley. We did Dodger Stadium. Yeah, when I would always when I graduated uh, high school, uh, I took my dad uh, on that same uh, idea. Uh, When I graduated high school, I took him on a trip of the East Coast ballpark. So we went to we went to Camden Yards in Baltimore. We went to Yankee Stadium in New York. We went to Fenway Park in Boston. And then one of the best, probably my fondest memory of any day I've ever spent with my dad was he and I spent the day at Cooperstown at the Hall of Fame. So uh, oh, that sounds pretty cool. We did we did Little League Hall of Fame. but the, the other element here is that I have brothers who do play sports mm-hmm. and my, my middle brother was a D one catcher, right? You want to talk about like scripting a father son story, right? Like my dad, the D one pitcher, my brother, the D one catcher, like couldn't, you couldn't do it better. Right. Right. My other brother plays lacrosse in college. Like they're, they're fucking monsters. Um, and I, I don't have that. And I've, I've, I tried, um, I almost made a really strong argument that Whiplash should be a sports movie. Mm, yeah. Uh, the drum movie, because sure. I, I tried to connect with the drums and, and it's the most athletic instrument you can play. Um, you know, I ended, I didn't letter in a sport in high school, but I lettered in band uh, from being in the jazz band playing drums. Sure. And a fucking good drummer. It's like, as physical as uh, <laughs> a musical thing as you can do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, uh, marching band is probably more militant, you know, and a little sure. bit more, you could be in a little better shape to be out there in the August heat. Um, but it, it was athletic and it was something my dad got me into. He bought my kit and I thought, oh, this might be a thing. And he's Mike, he's never seen me play. Yeah. Like literally not once. So it's just, it, it, it becomes a thing where it's never been what I needed it to be and ultimately keeping it in the world of sports, I've come to find or I've found at a certain point that I just felt like I was running out the clock with them. Yeah. Um, and it for a while made me hate sports, but then I started to play golf with you or with friends at UVA um, and realized that like the sport wasn't the problem. 
No. <laughs> you know, like it, it wasn't the activity of playing golf that I didn't like. You know, it wasn't the activity of shooting baskets that I didn't like. Yeah, I uh, I went to this uh, Laker game um, many years ago now, maybe about eight or nine years ago with my, my best bud, Michael. He's a big Lakers fan. And so I got him tickets to see Kobe and LeBron. It was the Cavs were in town uh, sure. back when uh, LeBron was on the Cavs the first time. And so we went to this game. We were sitting in the upper deck because that was all I could afford seat wise. And we both we both went to go get food at the Staples Center independently. We, I guess we wanted something different. So we kind of split off and we said, oh, we'll meet back here at the seats. And so I go off and I'm going to look for my hot dog or whatever I'm getting. And especially in the upper deck where you get the real working class blue collar fan, you're just seeing all these people that are just like aggro all about the Lakers. You know, they got their purple and gold. They might even have some face paint like a David Putty might have, you know. If, uh, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, the thought of just... I have nothing in common with most of these people except for the fact that we have this irrational love of sports. And it came back to our seats. My best friend had had the exact same experience or thought process when he was walking around just thinking, man, it's so crazy that um, we have so little in common with all these peoples. But ultimately, that's the thing that's great about sports. Uh, you know, even when it comes to a father-son relationship where you, you you need more connection than you do in the average type of relationship. Sure. It, it can't mend all the fences, but the amount of times in my life, either being in the crowd or at a sports bar, or just watching in a group setting where you're high-fiving some complete stranger because you're rooting sure. for the same laundry, to, to uh, reference what you mentioned a few weeks ago about Jerry Seinfeld's famous quote. Um, but yeah, just the way in which it can kind of break down that very initial boundary, that icebreaker to give you something to talk about. Um, and the irony is that I know as much about sports as the average non-professional person. And I kind of hate talking about sports for the most part, sure. unless it's with very specific people. But I have to admit that whenever I'm in a social situation where I'm kind of, it's a little awkward or I'm not sure if it's, if it's another dude and I can tell that they're into sports, it's, it's an easy way to have a 15 minute conversation with anybody. And well, and that's what I'm lacking. So I stopped watching ESPN a couple of years ago because it's just shouting, dude. Like it, it is. Yeah, I, I definitely don't watch ESPN anymore. That's for sure. Um, and so with that, I'm not interested enough. It turns out to really seek this stuff out. Uh, so I've, I've in, in, and maybe it's part of my thinking of myself as an outcast and, and thus living that way. That here in Chicago, my with more sports bars. Per capita, my sports interest is is lower than it's ever been, um, but I I miss that shorthand mm-hmm. uh, to connect with people, and it it feels on the one hand I could sit here and tell you that it's a superficial connection and that it's parallel play and that it's the illusion of of connection, and I could be really cynical about it, but at the end of the day, it's realer than nothing, and um, it, it is very powerful and it's one of the easiest ways for men to express themselves and when i grew up was older and and could play basketball with friends or as i said like golf with you or or even that day we were gonna go when we were in grad school we were gonna play on a uh, slow pitch softball team and so we decided to go to the batting cages and maloney and i weren't really friends but we lived sort of near the guy who was gonna drive and and 
we ended up in the backseat of the car together and this dude could not drive. <laughs> um, it was a very, very uh, white knuckle harrowing. I totally forgot through, about that. Yeah. Through that was West a, Los Angeles yep. to a batting cage that was closed, by the way. Yep. That's right. Um, that's right. But it was a, a, a moment that sports led to us being connected. Um, well, I would say I would so argue I, I not to like over argue it, but like so Nate and I were in the same grad program and we were in this group of eight friends that was all very tight. But you could make an argument that for the actual two years of grad school, uh, the two of us were the least uh, directly connected of those eight people. And then in the summer after we graduated, um, I was trying to organize a group, a foursome to go play at the Los Feliz nine hole golf course that Nate mentioned earlier. And we went out with Nate and two of our other friends, Tom and John, and had you know a really nice time together. And then Nate and I, having a good time or just like wanting to keep it going and maybe try to do it again next week. And by the second week of this little tradition, it was just the two of us. And you could, you can argue that without that golf, we would, we would not have become the best of friends that we are now. Oh, for sure. For sure. It is, is wonderful in connecting people that way. And it, I mean, in terms of its ability to redeem, like, I I don't, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I might genuinely get choked up talking about this. So like, I assume you know UVA basketball the last two years, mm-hmm. uh, you Maloney. But for our listeners who don't, like UVA men's basketball in 2018 was the number one team going into the NCAA tournament, and they lost their opening round game by 20 points. No one had ever lost. Was no the, number one seed had ever lost to a 16 seed. Yes, literally the less, biggest upset of all time in college basketball. Much less, a, we're getting our asses kicked, dude. Yeah. Like a genuine go home white boys um, type of thing and, and real demoralizing. And part of a, if you zoom out a little bit, a, a, I mean, I went to Virginia and it's one of the things I'm proudest of. And there had been a lot of shit that had happened at my school of Nazis on grounds and fake mm-hmm. rapists and uh, missing students and this weird fucking like soap opera coup of annexing the president and just dishonor after dishonor after embarrassment uh and then they came back and won it and it was awesome like the feeling of redemption and remembering what it is to be a winner and the way the coach comports himself and the the dignity they have and it's it's everything that's great about sports if they don't do a 30 for 30 about it i'm gonna be pissed um (laughs) yeah but it's it's that's what it still has like i want to be cynical about this stuff and it can still move me to tears because it's in there so thoroughly absolutely i for me the the parallel experience uh was the san francisco giants the baseball team i grew up loving and they had never won a world series in their uh entire history in San Francisco since they'd moved here from New York in 1954. And my dad and I, like I said, that was our biggest bonding piece uh, growing up. So it was like this mutual uh, obsession of basically kind of getting to a point where we accepted like the Giants are just never going to win a World Series. And then in 2010, um, they finally did. And I'll never forget, uh, you know, we're on TV, champagne is spraying in the locker room. And my dad called me and I just put him on speakerphone and I stepped out to this little uh, balcony that I had um, to talk to him. And it was, I mean, I'm going to get choked up thinking about that, but just we were reveling in this moment that we had been waiting our whole lives for. And it was our dream together along with, you know, thousands of other people in the world. But 
the way in which sports can unify us and 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 bring us together and just it that feeling of winning you know that that speech that that great speech from white men can't jump that you have the clip from about winning and losing i think i think that it comes back to that right it's not it's not about the winning or the losing but it's about what comes out of that and what you need to take from that experience whether you're doing it vicariously as a fan or whether you're actually on the court or the field uh yeah i think that's true um and i would say as you mentioned the giants i realized that one of the reasons honest to god reasons baseball movies as a kid didn't resonate with me as i was a dodgers fan and i had kirk gibson mm, yeah right i had that yeah. home run in 1988 that was like a, a scripted movie moment yep absolutely absolutely i didn't need kevin costner yeah <laughs> um yeah but that's that's amazing and and so uh what's your relationship with sports like now are you like check the sports every day or are you i think this you're is way more into it than me i'm sure yeah i think this is I, I think about this a lot because for me the thing i haven't mentioned so far that's probably important part of the vulnerability discussion around sports is that i grew up uh, for the vast majority of the beginning of my life. My formative years were as an only child. And my mom worked, my dad worked, my grandparents took care of me a lot, but I was alone a lot. And for me, sports has always been uh, what has kept me company, it, feeling connected to something larger. My mom, this is a sort of infamous story in my family of I would literally, because I wanted to be a sports broadcaster as much as I wanted to be like the starting shortstop for the Giants, I would, as a six-year-old boy, be out in our front yard by myself throwing a tennis ball against this tiny brick planter, and I would announce an entire nine-inning baseball game, just me playing it by myself. And my mom called up my grandfather, and she said, he's out there talking to himself. Should I be worried? And thank God my grandfather was who he was. And he's like, no, he's a kid. He's just enjoying himself. But when I look back on that, memory or, or that story with hindsight, there's this kid that was so alone that he was needing to create this fantasy world to keep himself comforted and um, to feel less alone. And whether I was creating it in a fantasy play-by-play -play experience or watching the many, many games that I would dance around in front of the TV, I would be, as my grandparents always joke, I was as sweaty as the players by the end because I couldn't sit uh -huh. still and I still can't. I still have to, like last night I was watching the 49er Seahawks game and I was pacing around my living room and it's just like a famous thing with me and my family that only a few people can I watch sporting events that matter to me because I just, I yell, I scream, I'm a ridiculous human being and you know me pretty well, like I'm a pretty mild-mannered person otherwise, but the only fights I've al ever almost gotten into were all playing pickup basketball like there's just this switch that goes on when I get competitive that is the primal side of myself that shadow side that I both needed to uh, let that out to have a, a, an outlet for it but also like I say sports has been this way for me to feel less alone sure and it becomes an avenue and an acceptable outlet for all sorts of emotions like aggression and things like that um, and there are definitely I mean, I think without sports, there are members of my family who would be murderers. Yeah. You know, like like it is is allows them the expression of their their rage and and but I think you touch on something that's that's really important here, this this fantasy aspect of it that is easily it's easy to forget this is all a man made construction, right? Mm -hmm. And that no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Billy Hoyle wins the basketball game. Like what, what matters is relationships. I think I'm one of the reasons 
sports is so relatively easy is there are rules and it is objective and it is not as sloppy as the real world yeah like you said at the Um, beginning there literally is a scoreboard that says who wins and loses and that's not what life is like most of the time yeah and and you know it's is there's reasons for i don't know your your performance is very easily evaluated i suppose and and there's no there's an objectivism to how good or bad objectivism to it and like there's no it, it doesn't make you feel awkward you know the way that, like, I don't know, a, a weird interaction can or your dog barking in the back while you're trying to record <laughs> a podcast can. Uh, you know what I mean? There's no uh, – I, I, I guess I'm trying to say that it is it, – it's like a work relationship in in that there are boundaries and rules and, and it's a, a very clear-cut arena for human interaction rather than the actual – free-flowing sprawling anything can happen way that people actually interact uh but i think people forget that it, it is we ascribe all this meaning to it and it can be meaningful but it also doesn't have to mean everything no um, absolutely and there's also this weird dichotomy between uh, athletics and being a fan of sports are two very different things because athletics like playing sports yourself or the athletes that are playing them that's a because what you're saying it's a it's an in your body experience whereas being a fan is entirely in your own head you know it's not a, sure there's sure. not a physical presence to it so that that strangeness uh, my favorite thing about playing sports was that it got me out of my head but my favorite thing about watching sports is that it, it gives me this world in my head that I can kind of obsess over in a safe in a safe environment. But yeah, ultimately, it's about the relationships that maybe it can help cultivate is where the real impact is rather than the, the wins and the losses and the scoreboard. And gambling. Sure, of course, gambling. You got to line your pockets. I mean, something. my I like I, I'm not that into sports anymore. But I'll if I had the opportunity to sit and watch a day of football and I've got action on the games or players playing in fantasy. Like it's one of my favorite ways to spend uh, an afternoon, uh, uh, but I I'm, almost never get to do that anymore. Yeah. I might tell a story in a future podcast about the time I was so depressed. I bet a thousand dollars on a football game and we can, I can tell that at a future time, but that maybe devote our own uh, segment to, to depression and <laughs> yeah, how we, we deal with do. it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, but I think this has been a pretty good episode. Our, uh, Twitter handles are I'm DeWitticisms. And I am at full of Maloney. And you can email and us where at Nathan? Uh, the in development podcast at Gmail. And before we forget, we want to make sure to thank uh, producer Gary for the amazing sound of the show, both uh, the mix and the guitar work and pretty much everything about this that is professional is, is owing to Gary. Gary's the best. And uh, we'll be back next week with our friends giving feast, uh, our all friends episode just in time for Thanksgiving. So if you have any last minute thoughts of things you want friends related discussed, hit us up on our social media or email. Uh, Listen, then, hello to our listener in Kenya. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, good on you. That's not a Kenyan international saying at all. That's an Australian saying. That let's get out of here before Kenya. I make another right, put my foot in my mouth. Our goodbye to our listener in Kenya. All right, I love you, buddy. I'll talk to you next week. All right, love you too. Talk to you later. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. As he, as he lines up this last shot, he's got about 195 yards left, and he's gonna. Looks like he's got about an eight. This crowd has gone deadly silent. Cinderella story, out of nowhere, a former greenskeeper now about to become the Masters champion.